The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 97. The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the multitude of isles be glad, clouds and thick darkness surround him, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. A fire goes up before him and burns up his enemies round about him. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the peoples see his glory. Amen. Great God and King, we come into your presence today as your people, asking that you would do what our choir just sang, that the Spirit of the living God would fall fresh upon us. Lord, that you would be here, that you would be in our hearts, that you would be in our singing, in our praying, in the reading of your word and in our receiving of it. We pray, Lord, that we might hear from you today. We pray that you would speak to us mightily through your word. And Lord, we pray that you would join our hearts together as your people, that you would do this work by your grace in our midst, that we would know together to a person, each of us, that we are standing in the presence of the living God. And Lord, we join our hearts and our voices together now as we pray together the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the green hymnal, if you would like to look there. As this is a confession of our faith, I'm going to ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, 
maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, and the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Dear believer, those of you who cling to the Lord Jesus by faith and look to him for his righteousness alone to clothe you, hear these words of the assurance of God's pardon of your sins from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Amen. Let's continue to worship now. Uh, If you will take your bulletin, there's an insert. We're going to sing together the hymn, I Know That My Redeemer Lives.
seated. And the children can come forward at this time for the children's sermon. Good morning, boys and girls. Come on in, scoot in. Plenty of room. Plenty of room. I want to begin this morning by talking with you for just a moment about uh, something that we talked about last week in the sermon. When God's people, the children of Israel, had been taken out of Egypt, do you remember the name of the mountain they came to to worship God? Where they received the Ten Commandments, Daniel? Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, yes. And do you remember what they were to do while Moses was up on the mountain? Stay away from the mountain, and they were to stay there, Caleb. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And after some time went by, while they were there, they decided it's taking too long. We're tired of waiting. And so they decided, we don't know where Moses is, we don't know if he's coming back, and we would rather just have something to worship than to wait and hear from God. So they went and got Aaron, God's priest, and they told him, you make a God for us, and we will worship it. We will proclaim that this is the God who brought us out of Egypt, who saved us out of bondage. We will worship it and sing. And so they did. And does anybody know what Aaron made for them? What did he craft for them? Anybody? A cow. Cow. Golden cow. It was a golden cow. They had taken their earrings and their jewelry and gave them to Aaron. They were delighted to give their things, to have an a idol made for them. And maybe, maybe that's interesting as we think about it, that as we think about worshiping the living God, are we sometimes maybe a little bit stingy in our hearts? Should I, should I give? And yet here they were clamoring after an idol that couldn't speak, that didn't deliver them. And do you remember what happened to God's people? When Moses came down the mountain, what did he do with the tablets of stone? He destroyed them. He He threw them on the ground. And who had written on them? Whose hand had written the words on those tablets? God's hand. He was so angry, he couldn't believe it. And God told him before Moses went down the mountain, he said, these people that you brought out of Egypt, they have made a molded God and they are worshiping it. And as Joshua and Moses came down the mountain, guess what they heard? Before they saw the people, they heard something. They heard singing and dancing and rejoicing. And Moses said, this is not the sound of singing because of a victory in a battle. And it's not the sound of mourning because of defeat in a battle. This is the sound of God's people singing and dancing after idol worship. And he was angry. And he was pierced in his heart because these people that God had just done signs and wonders and miracles in front of decided it was too inconvenient to wait for God. The entertainment value of the cloud and the thunder and the lightning and the shaking and the trumpet sound wasn't enough for them to stand still in God's presence. They said, we've got to have something else. And that day, Moses told the people, he looked at them in the eyes, like I'm looking at you now, and he said, those of you who are on the Lord's side, come over here and stand with me. And they did. Sons of Levi went. And he commanded them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, the true God, because you have done this, because you have sinned after me, and have not waited, 
he sent the sons of Levi through the camp, and they were to kill their brother, their companion, and their friend. And that day, it says, 3,000 people died because of the wickedness and the evilness of the people's hearts. You know, sometimes when we sin, God doesn't immediately punish us. And we think, I've gotten away with it. No one knows. But isn't it true that God always knows? He sees and knows everything. And that's not for you to live in fear. It's for you to remember that just as the children of Israel were to wait before that mountain because God's presence was there, you and I should wait on Him. And we should remember that sin is not small. Sin is significant. The things that tear at your hearts are what separate you from the truth of the living God, unless you confess them to Him. I want to pray for you now. Father in heaven, I thank you for our covenant children. I thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that at their young age, even right now, they would begin to think of what it means to live before you, to stand in your presence. We believe by faith, Lord, that we are doing that here today, that we are in your presence. We pray, Lord, that you would cause them to walk before you in righteousness and holiness, and that as they sin, they would remember that we have an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous, that they wouldn't believe they can hide any sins from you. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them great joy and delight in this, in your presence, that what you require of them, you also provide for them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. This morning for our responsive reading, we're going to read together Psalm 4. It's on page 786 in the Green Hymnal. Psalm 4 on page 786. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. How long, O men, will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? In your anger, do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Many are asking, who can show us any good? You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their new grain and new wine abound. Amen. Let's stand together now as we continue to worship and turn in your hymnal to number 301 as we sing together, join all the glorious names.
This month for our pastoral prayer time, we have been uh, spending our time in prayer lifting up uh, the good ones, Sam and Lizzie, who are living in here in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, they are missionaries that we support through uh, Mission to the World. They work as uh, member care representatives uh, after having served over 10 years uh, overseas. They're now here and serving those who are serving overseas and other places uh, by providing spiritual support and care as they help to organize teams and really ask hard, significant, weighty questions of our missionaries. How are you doing? How are you really doing walking spiritually with the Lord yourself? So we want to pray for them. They ask that we would pray for this very important ministry and also for their own financial needs. As you know, we support them as a church and they do raise their support like other missionaries do. So we're going to pray for them. And I also wanted to pray specifically this morning uh, for uh, one another and also uh, praising the Lord for his word, giving it to us that we may have it and, and read it and hold it in our hands and hide it in our hearts. Let's pray. Our gracious God and King, we thank you that we may draw near to you, that in this service of worship we, we proclaim we say to one another, that is what we are doing, drawing near to God with one another. By your spirit, through the blood of Jesus, we believe that we are standing in your presence, the God of all the earth, the one who made everything that we see, who created us, who sent the Lord Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and to raise him up victorious over death, hell, and the grave to deliver his people. Lord, we praise you. We say Alleluia to you alone. May our hearts have a sense even now of standing in your presence. Lord, we do lift up to you the good ones. Because of your work in the world, you have called them to serve missionaries and to serve us by being very careful ministers of the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would bless Sam as he speaks with missionaries, as he talks with them about the very real needs that they have. Some of them, the conversations may be about financial needs and making sure that they can make ends meet. But a lot of their conversations, Lord, are about where they are spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, as they learn to adjust to living in a foreign country and learning a new language and living in an entirely different culture than what they would call home. Lord, I pray that you would use Sam for your glory and that it would be for the missionaries good that he asked them difficult questions and that they, Lord, in, in courage would be able to answer honestly. Lord, we pray for you to meet their needs. We pray that for Sam and Lizzie, that you would bless their marriage and their children, that you would bless their home as they spend time together. And Lord, we do cry out to you asking, raising up this request that they have, that their financial needs will be met this calendar year, that they would see you be faithful as they depend on you by faith. And Lord, I do want to pause and to thank you and to praise you this morning as your people for being our good and loving Heavenly Father, for providing for us your word, that you inspired men of old to write down the words that you have given Lord, we thank you that we may hold our Bibles in our hands, that we may read them in our homes without very much fear of worrying about anything, 
in this country. And Lord, we pray lifting up our brothers and sisters around the world who are serving you and who are no less deserving of the freedom that we enjoy, and yet they worship you in fear and trepidation, wondering if their houses will be broken into, if their family members will be taken, and if they themselves might lose their life because they say, I belong to the God of heaven. Lord, help us. Have mercy upon us that we would read the Bible or hold it or have it in our homes and not be spending time with you in it. Convict us, Lord. Call us to yourself by your spirit. We pray that you would do this for our good and for your glory, that we wouldn't take steps throughout our days thinking that we don't need to be in your word, in your presence, in prayer, needing the grace that you provide. And Lord, I do also pray as we sit here together this morning and pray for our church family. Lord, we rejoice with those who are celebrating today. We mourn with those who are grieving And we lift up to you those who are going through serious difficulties, spiritually and physically, those who have very serious health concerns and those who have been struggling for some time with health needs that are real and significant, that have totally altered the way they spend their days. Lord, I lift up to you, your people, that you would hear our cries, that you would be merciful and gracious, that you would grant healing and wholeness. And Lord, I pray most of all for our church family, for those who are gathered here today and for those who couldn't make it, that you would draw us close to yourself by your spirit, that we would have a sense of your grace and your love in Jesus Christ. Help us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Psalms, chapter 24. Psalm 24 is our scripture passage this morning. Psalm 24. I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The grass withers And the flowers do fade, but the word of our God abides forever. This morning we are doing part two of the sermon that we started and did last week. The sermon is entitled, The Lord's Worship, Part Two. One of the things that I hope that we can answer is, what is my duty before the Lord? As I think about coming to church every Sunday for worship, and what is my duty as I sit here in God's presence with his people. What is it that I should be doing? How should I think about God's word? It was believed that Psalm 24 was a celebration liturgy. That it was used when the ark of God was being brought back into the city of God, into Jerusalem. And there was anticipation and excitement. There was joy and dancing. There was celebrating before God because the people believed that the ark represented God's presence among his people, that he actually did exist among them. And that's why, as you read in the Old Testament, there was great sorrow and weeping when the ark was stolen or taken, when it wasn't in the city of God. And yet here, this psalm marks a time when God's people celebrated because they had seen the strength of the Lord, the victory of the Lord, and now they were anticipating and waiting As the ark would return. It was a reminder to them. Get ready dear people. Not only is the ark coming. But we believe God's presence is coming to rest. Among his people. We have waited. And he is coming. This psalm is about being ready. Because the king is returning. In this psalm. In in the first two verses. David takes us to the crow's nest of the universe. And he says, look at all that has been made. Look at the earth and all that is in it. Look at the people who live in it. 
Look at everything there. All of it belongs to the Lord. Then he takes us as they travel along to stand with God's people as they see the holy mountain. And they say, who may ascend? It's believed that one of the leaders would have asked this question of the gatekeeper. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his presence? And the gatekeeper was to respond. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. And the people would pause. If those verses pricked your hearts this morning. That's okay. They should. They paused. You can't just jump over those verses and get to the next ones that say good news about blessings without hearing what it meant. The people knew what it meant that they had dirty hands and dirty hearts and filthiness of their souls and not something that Brillo would take off or Dawn could get the grease to go away. There was something in their soul. It wasn't that their sins were the things that they did and that's why their hands were dirty. It was that they were sinful. And the only way that they could be made clean was to look upon the altar as the blood dripped down it. God said to his people in Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11, I gave you the altar and the sacrifices to make atonement for your souls. So as they thought about it, who may enter the Lord's presence? Who is worthy to stand in the presence of the king, the king of all the earth? And they would say in their hearts, None of us. These verses anticipate a sacrifice that God Himself would make for His people. That He would do it. He would bring salvation. As they thought about the altar, as they thought about the blood that dripped down it, as they heard as animals cried, as they were sacrificed, they were reminded, my sinfulness demands this. God's holiness demands this. In His presence I cannot stand without this happening. Unless there is shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. My sins have to be atoned for to be in the presence of the living God. And then there was rejoicing because God provided salvation. He provided a blessing. And it says that we are the generation of those who seek you, who seek your face. Not just your blessings. We seek your presence. It was one of the things that that Moses, his countenance fell in Exodus 33. Because God had promised after the children of Israel sinned at the mountain. After they made the golden calf, God said, my anger has burned. I will visit my people again, but I am coming for the day of punishment. To blot out from my book those who have sinned against me. And he says, I'm not going with you. But I'll send my angel to go ahead of you and you will take possession of the land that I have promised. I will be faithful to my covenant, but I cannot go because I will consume those who have sinned against me. And Moses' heart fell. He said, Lord, show me your glory. You have brought these people out of bondage, out of Egypt. And if you don't go, please don't send us away from this mountain. Please don't tell us to leave. He pleads 
on behalf of God's people. These sinful people, he pleads for them. God, don't leave us. And that's the beautiful, wonderful passage where it says that God told him, I will go with you. He asked to see God's glory and he says, I can't let you see my glory, but I will let it pass by you. And they go. At the end of this psalm, in Psalm 24, you have those questions. Those questions that should echo in your heart. They should demand an answer from you. Who is this king of glory? Who is it? As the people went through this liturgy, they were reminded, we only come into God's presence because he calls us there. Just as we were called this morning to worship, they were anticipating that the ark is coming, our king is coming, we will be with him. He is ruling and reigning in righteousness, and we will rejoice to be in his presence with one another. And He is taking care of us. Who is this king? It is the mighty warrior king who has always been. It is King Jesus. The one who said, I come not to bring peace, but a sword. I come to divide the sheep from the goats. I come to bring my people home. I have made a place for you. We just sang about it. A mansion that God has prepared for his people. That we one day will go home. We relish in that hope. That one day the Lord will call us home. So this morning as we look at this passage, I want to to talk about verse 1 and 2. Acknowledging the sovereignty of God over everything. And then the next section. Looking at what it means to be able to say that I have clean hands and a pure heart. Not to be self-deceived, but according to God's word. I have clean hands and a pure heart. And lastly, what is this king like? So number one, thinking about the sovereignty of God. Stephen Lawson this week at a a conference quoted R.C. Sproul, whom he heard in seminary class, say that the sovereignty of God is God's favorite doctrine. And it would be yours too if you were God. The sovereignty of God means that God does whatever he pleases, whenever, wherever, with whomever, and for whatever reason. It is the foundation of our faith. It is the rock solidness of our creed that our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases. Psalm 115 verse 3. He does as he pleases. He does according to his will. The earth and everything that is in it belongs to God. The people that we see, the people around us, even the people that we think are our enemies, they are nothing more than God's servants and nothing less. One writer said that you might say, as they thought about these words, the earth and everything in it and all of the people, you could have said the earth and all the Assyrians or the earth and all the Babylonians, all of them belong to God. You might say today the earth and all the terrorists in it, they belong to God. There is nothing that is outside the scope of his rule and his reign. God is working right now. He is working every day. And what does the Bible say that he is doing? Everything that he pleases. Nothing holds his hand back. He opens a door and no one may shut it. He shuts a door and no one may open it. D. 
Do you believe that that's true? That God is at work even right now today, saving souls, taking them out of the destiny of darkness, living in hell forever. He is saving people. He is giving people who have stopped up ears hearing. He is causing people who cannot see the truth to be able to see it. And he is causing people who have no spiritual legs or arms to walk or serve him. He is giving them the ability to move and to serve him and to worship him. No one can stay his hand. No one. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. I think that's part of the vision that David wanted his people to see. David is the king after all. Be reminded Dear people of God, he's saying, your God sits on a throne. This chapter has already been written and finished. Isn't that part of what makes your heart shriek a little bit and shrink day to day? Because things happen in your life and you are wondering, what is God doing? And if you're honest, you maybe even question, is God doing anything? Is he doing anything in the world? Is he doing anything in my home? Is he doing anything in my heart? Where are you, God? What are you doing? Are you doing? Number two, he gets to the the next section. Not only should we as God's people acknowledge his sovereignty over everything, we absolutely should see and behold what it means to come into his presence, to draw near to God. We read that passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 10. We're to draw near with confidence as God's people. We have a prayer of invocation every Sunday that by God's spirit, he would be here with us, with his people in worship. That as we sing, as we close our eyes to pray, as we read God's word, as you hear it proclaimed, that you would hear not a man, but hear him. The Alpha and the Omega speak to you through His Word, by His Spirit. Lord, we need to hear from You. We need to hear the words of life. Wasn't that what one of the disciples said to Jesus when He asked them, Are you going to leave too? And they looked at Jesus and said, Where would we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. There's nowhere else for us to run to. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to preach at Westminster Chapel. And there was a little German girl who would come and listen. She was studying at the London Bible College. And she would hear him preach. She would go home to her room. She would lock the door. And she would get on her knees in her room and pray. And she said, is it a bad thing that preaching does this to me? And why do I keep going back? And Dale Ralph Davis says in his commentary on Psalm 19 19 to Psalm 24, absolutely not. If preaching does that to you, if hearing these words, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? If you are honest with yourself, it should pierce your heart. It should pierce your conscience. Who may stand in his holy place to stand in the presence of the living God? Ancient Israel never did except for being at the mountain. And as the sacrifices and the temple service was given, there was only one person every year who stood in God's presence officially. 
It was the high priest on the day of atonement. And even that, he didn't always make it out alive. That's why they tied a rope around his waist. And if his body fell to the ground, they would pull him out. Because he was standing in the presence of the living God. So when you read those words, it should pierce your heart. But don't walk away from that. That's the Lord's work. If there's conviction in your soul, don't walk away from that. That's the Lord's work in your heart. You couldn't manufacture that. You couldn't produce that on your own. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And that takes all of us out. Nobody gets to stand. That's his standard and not mine. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. C.S. Lewis said we are all idol factories. Every one of us, our hearts, we are just bent on it because of our sinful nature. We are idol factories, all of us, and who has not sworn deceitfully. Which of us can say we haven't done that? Not one of us. But what God demands of his people, he provides for them. And he did that. It was, a, it was to be a shadowy type, but it was work of the Lord in the temple service. It was meant for God's people to draw close to him, to walk in obedience and faith and say, if God told me to bring this lamb or this goat or this dove or this vat of oil or this grain and come before his presence and make atonement for my sins to believe by faith, if he gave the instruction, he will also provide the grace that I need to be able to not be consumed. For my sins to be atoned for. To be able to stand in his presence and walk by his grace another day. For me and my family to know, thus saith the Lord. To be obedient and to walk in his ways. If there's conviction in your heart this morning, dear believer, stay there. Your Lord is there. It would be safer to be there than to walk out those doors thinking, I have no problems. Me and Jesus are fine. We sing that song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. But it is also a grace and a love of the Lord that He does give conviction of sin. That there may be times when you feel that the ground is shaking beneath your feet because of your sinfulness in God's presence. That is okay. Doubt is okay. You're human after all. Doubt is okay. Fear in the presence of the living God is okay. Lastly, are you ready for the king to return? The Bible says he is coming again. As we think about this passage and as we think about what we proclaim to be doing here on this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning of Lord's days, we say not that we are waiting for the king to come, but we say by faith, I am standing in his very presence now. How differently would I read my Bible if I thought the return of the king was not a day in the future on my calendar that I could circle? How differently would I read and pray and sing even on these days if I believed that I am with him now? That by faith I may draw near to the king. I believe it would be different for each of us. For me and for you, for your family and for mine. The book of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. 
As you think about the Lord Jesus, as you think about this great king who is coming again, who came once, and in whose presence you proclaim to be standing right now, sitting right now. It says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the book of Exodus chapter 15, God's people rejoiced that he, the king, was a mighty warrior who delivered his people. If you've read the book, Pilgrim's Progress, you know about the story of going on the way to the celestial city. Mr. Greatheart serves as a guide as Christian is on his way. And they come upon a man who identified himself as valiant for truth. And he is beaten and he is bloodied and he has a sword in his hand. He had just come through a three-hour battle with Wildhead, Inconsiderate, and Pragmatic, who were determined to kill him, but they didn't. They had wounded him, and he had wounded them, and they ran away to get away. And it's at this point that Greatheart asks a question of Valiant of Truth. He says, can I please see your sword? He looks at it, and he says, this is a right Jerusalem blade indeed. In that scene, it's John Bunyan's way of saying that the Christian pilgrimage is a war for God's people. I wish that you could see it. I wish I could see it. That most days, you are not living in a land where everyone is neutral to you. You are not living in a place where the spiritual forces of darkness are just kind of apathetic about your existence and about your faith and your love for Jesus. I'm not talking about people that live across the road that don't come to church here. I'm talking about spiritual forces that want nothing more than to simply undo you and separate you from the living God who would love to see you live in places of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, who would love for you to mistrust others. And I mean others in this house today, mistrust Not believe. Be skeptical. You are living in a war zone. And I'm fearful that many of us don't even see it. This was Bunyan's way of saying we are living a war. The Christian life is a battle. It's about combat and conflict. And Christ's servants, you and I, are bloodied up and beaten up sometimes. As John Newton wrote, wrote, it's a time now that you and I are living in when fierce temptation seems to threaten hard to bear us down. But he goes on to say, the Lord holds in view the conqueror's crown. The Bible says we will lay those crowns down at the feet of our Savior, our great King. Are you struggling in this world against temptation right now? Against sin, against hell and the devil? Are you struggling? Are you seeing the fight? Are you in the fight, dear believer? Your King is fighting for you. Hebrews 13.8, the Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the great king with the sword drawn. He is fighting your battles and he is mighty for you. Yes, he is comforter. He is care. He is love. But 
but he is also a mighty warrior dressed for battle. And he fights for his people. He adapts to his people's needs. Do you need comfort? Run to Jesus. Do you need rest? Run to Jesus. Do you need a partner that is down in the foxhole of life who will fight with you and for you? Who will leave no man or woman left behind? Run to Jesus. He is the valiant warrior. Dale Ralph Davis in his commentary on Psalm 24 says, I plead with you not to allow those who would tell you about this meek and mild Jesus to take away from you the strength and the virileness of your king. He fights. He fights for you. Yes, Jesus is meek and mild towards his people. He doesn't pour out wrath on us. He is our comforting king of glory, our warrior king. He comes in the middle of our troubles to bash to bits the struggles that we have. And the fetters of the enemy, the one who would try to seek to separate you from God. Jesus is there. He will not allow you to be taken from his hand. Jesus prayed that about his disciples before he was led away to be crucified on a cross. Of all those that you gave me, I lost None. Jesus does not lose you. He will hold you fast. This is the king that we may be comforted in, dear people. Delroth Davis wrote, You have no comfort if the king of glory is a wimp who reeks of hand cream. You only have solace if your defender is in the thick of war with you. Dear people of God, I want to encourage you. Your king is in the fight. Are you ready to stand in his presence? Are you ready to see him wield his sword to protect, defend, provide for you and for your family? Are you ready to stand in his presence, to be with him forever, to dwell with him, to worship him? As I think about this passage and I think about what it means to be in God's presence, over these last two weeks I have tried For us to see the greatness of our God. And to give priority in our minds and in our lives and in our hearts. To what it means to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. To draw near to God. What it means to open God's word and read it. There are responsibilities for you dear believer. When this word is opened in your home or in mine. And when we come together on Sunday morning. We have a responsibility before God to read it by faith. It's the word of the living God. Are you ready to see the king? Let us pray. Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for each family here. For those whom you have called to yourself and decisively made a covenant. Your covenant of grace. To keep them. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage their hearts this morning. Lord, be to us, our God, and we, your people, and all that you say we will do. Lord, we pray by your grace that you would show us yourself in your word. Help us to see that you are strong and mighty and good and right, and that you are the one fighting our battles. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's respond to God's word together now by singing hymn number 97. We praise you, O God, our Redeemer, Creator.
Father in heaven, we pray that you would accept now our tithes and our offerings that we bring to you by faith. We pray, Lord, in this act of worship that you would cause our hearts not to be tethered to the things of this world. Bind our wandering hearts, Lord, even in the giving of tithes and offerings to you. And may your grace keep us there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
receive the benediction of the Lord. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.